Hey, this is Tim Hunzey, partner of Parallel Music Publishing and board member of the Nashville Association of Independent Music Publishers. Thanks for listening to the Nashville Pubcast. This episode of the Nashville Pubcast, we have Trina Smith of Me Gusta Music. We discuss the importance of publishing administration. going to get into my most favorite thing to talk about, admin. So let's just start off with basic. What is admin? Let's just start there. So we work on behalf of publishers and songwriters because a lot of times they own their own publishing and they have some sort of activity. So they put out a record themselves or they got a cut from maybe a friend or an artist and we make sure that they're getting paid. So there's multiple places where money comes from and we make sure all those places are paying them. And That's then, always good. Yes, Money's and then good. we collect the money, and we typically, deals are a little different, but most people pay out their clients quarterly. So we collect their money, we take our cut off the top, and then we pass through their money that we've collected. That's, see, it sounds so simple, yet it's so <laughs> complicated, right? Well, there are some complications, for sure. Let's start with a basic. Say I have the song, and I come to you, that now a friend of mine cut it. Let's say it's just an indie artist, and I'm like, hey, I got a cut. What do you start with? How do you begin the process? So step number one for anybody is to affiliate with a PRO, Performing Rights Organization. Um, And in the U.S., that's BMI, ASCAP, CSAC. And there's a fourth one called GMR, but that's specific to certain writers. It's a pretty exclusive Um, one, right? Yeah. So most people will pick pick one of those other three, and they need to sign up and register as a writer. Um, And then if they own their own publishing, they're going to sign up as a publisher, too. So they do need to do both, and and it's two separate, completely different companies. Some people just do the first thing, like sign up as a writer, but then it's hard for people to find them. So it's always good to set up as a publisher at the same time. Step you can do it all online. It only takes a few minutes to process. You get your stuff. You get it set up with a, your PRO and the basics of that. And then where do we go? Um, so there's three places mainly that you're going to get money, and that's for performing rights money. So you're going to go through whoever you signed up with, ASCAP, BMI. And what's that CSAC. money from? What where that's does that for come performances? From? So um, say it got played on the radio, or it got played on television. Or there's also money for any of the streaming services. So that's them broadcasting it out. They have to pay those companies to do that. So you're collecting that money through that. And then you're also collecting streaming money. And that comes from a few different sources. And then you're collecting any downloads or CD sales. And that if it's like an independent person, that's coming from your buddy. Or if it was like someone from Sony Records, you're getting it from Sony Records. So it's whoever puts the record out, they're going to be paying you for CD sales and downloads. And that's called a mechanical license, correct? correct? Mm-hmm. And do you negotiate that license? And, yes. and is it a standard rate or do you negotiate a rate for standard that? Standard rate, unless they want something that's not standard. <laughs> so usually, usually it's 0.091 cents. And if the song is over five minutes, it costs more money. But that's the standard rate. Um, sometimes if you're the artist, the, um, you'll negotiate with the label and get a lower rate. Um, but for everyone else, it's point zero nine one unless you've negotiated differently. Like a control comp clause, yes. what you'd be referring to. And then there's a few artists that put out big compilation records, and they'll press like a gazillion units, really, like a million units, and they'll pay um, for a reduced rate, but they're paying a bunch of units ahead of time. So it's like... Superstars have that. done that. Yes, that, yes mm-hmm. I've had. But usually point zero nine one. 
And a control comp, by the way, for those that don't know, just to inform would be usually it's contractual language that an artist is releasing his own written material that he's going to pay himself a reduced mechanical rate. And I said that right. Correct. <laughs> and it happens less and less now yeah. because most of the focus is on streaming income. Right. So there's less. That's Why would that be? Because sales really aren't around anymore, are Not they? Not really. Physical, some people that we work with on the label end don't, aren't even putting out physical products anymore. Um, and then supposedly downloads might end soon. So um, really the focus is on streaming. Well, have you seen an, an uptake in money independently, though? Let's say, like, from from the old sales model that you're talking about, the streaming, if you're a smaller company, are you seeing a, 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 an income stream that's sustainable, I guess, or equal to what it used to be? It depends on the artist. Okay. So if the artist is very streamable, then yes, like, for those clients, collectively from all the different DSPs, which are Spotify, Apple, Pandora, you add them up. And that's the equivalent of what they would probably have made in, like, physical product before. But some clients are less streamable than others, so then they aren't earning what, like, they would have probably earned before from CD sales or downloads. And we're speaking mostly just still on the writer and and publisher side, but we know now that, uh, let's say if I'm an artist and I'm putting out my own music, then there's another right, the the master's rights that we're in streaming that seem to be bringing in fairly good income these days, correct? Yes, and they get... Like seven times, sometimes it's ten times more money than the publishers get for the same stream. So if you're an artist and you're putting out your own record, you can make good money on streaming. You're making less money as a publisher. Now, there's more involved in that. Now, yeah, I can still put it up through TuneCore, but how do I make sure I collect my money on an independent level uh, on on my streaming income on the master side? So you're wearing – so as the master side. Yes, ma'am. Um, you're getting it from two places. You're getting it from TuneCore because you said you're using that company for distribution. And then you're also going to sign up with SoundExchange, um, and that will pay you for any non-interactive streaming. So that means like – um, Pandora or Sirius, something where you can't pick what you're, someone's listening to that's not interactive. So those two places will pay you. And can you explain more about what Sound Exchange is? As a publisher, I know that I, it took me a while to really wrap my head around exactly what that is, but I know that it's very important income for a lot of people these days. Yeah, so um, you don't need to sign up with it unless you're an artist or you're putting out records. So you'd be, you're a master owner. And a producer or... Or a producer, okay. yes. And it's, so it's just for the master recording and the people that are involved in that. Um, so it's collecting performance income as the artist or the label. In the U.S., it's just for non-interactive streaming. And every other place in the world, they collect for radio performance too. But U.S. artists don't get a piece of that. It's complicated, but because we don't have residual rights. So at SoundExchange, you're collecting through... It's all non-interactive streaming that you're getting paid on. Do you see that uh, – I'm getting a little political now. We'll touch on this probably on a, one of the other podcasts, but do you think that will change where the, we'll start seeing performance for the artist? Yes, they're working on that right now. And so if that's the case, then it opens up a world of other – literally a world of other income that's currently being held for us and us, U.S. artists, since um, we don't have the residual right. So whenever that door opens, that will – affect a lot of people. Now, I, I hear these terms a lot, and I, and it used to confuse me. What, what is label copy? You get that a lot. I get label copy requests. Do you handle that yourself? And then what exactly are people looking for when they So we us? handle that for our clients. So really, our work starts whenever they say, hey, we have a cut. This is the artist. Um, this is who I wrote it with. And label copy is just publishing information. So it's the writers and the their publishing company name. Um, and that's what 
when they used to have liner notes. Yeah. <laughs> they do. Some people still do. But Starting to come back. Yes, Spotify's right? trying. They're trying. Um, so that's what we're providing them is like when you looked at the inside of the liner notes and you saw who wrote the songs and what their publisher publishing information is, that's what we're giving them when we give them label copy. Now, as a publisher, I'm going to get it. One of my biggest things is making sure that's correct. Is when I, as a uh, as a publisher, um, when I get my writers turn in a song, I have a process for them on how they turn in their songs. I need the song, I need a lyric, I need a DOC, and this is exactly why I need that kind of information because there's going to be label copy come in one day, and I need to know exactly what is what. So, for small companies. And independent writers, what would you suggest on – do you have a system in place at your company that you have them turn in their songs so that they have it done correctly because it's so vital to we everything? We usually just work with that work with the songs that are active, meaning they've been cut. So a lot of those songs may take a while before that happens. So all of our clients have some sort of system they have on their own of keeping track of that information. Um, so a lot, if it's like an independent person, they'll just have like a really nice Excel spreadsheet and have, keep track of like the title, the title of the song, like when they wrote it, who they wrote it with and keep a nice like Dropbox of, um, all their MP3s of the songs. So we're only touching it whenever they've told us like from this pile of songs they have, like one that someone cut. A lot of people ask me now, is it important that I copyright my song? And um, and kind of touching on what you said about keeping things, we only do active songs ourselves at my company as far as copyrights. Uh, but people always seem so sensitive about the songs not protected. Do you have? What do you think of that statement? Do you still feel like they? If I was a small guy and I'm pitching my song to get a publishing deal, or maybe I'm pitching to independent writers, or do you feel it's important to have your song copyrighted in today's environment? Um, well, if you don't copyright it, you get if, if for some reason someone infringed on your copyright and someone stole your work, you get less money in your lawsuit if you don't have it copyrighted. So that's the one thing where we do the same thing. We register all of the ones that have been cut, um, actually major releases, and then it's at our client's discretion about independent ones. So, yes, you protect yourself more if you have them copyrighted, but copywritten. Copywritten. Written, written, there, written. Written. See, there we go. I'm not the only one yeah, messing woo. up. Yay. Um, but they're expensive. They're 55 a piece. So sometimes you, if you copywrote, copy, yeah, I should probably know how to say this since I do this all day. Yeah. You did that with a song, you'd be, you're spending more than you're making. So I'm not an attorney, right. but a lot of our clients just do the active ones because you have the proof in this digital world right. of when you wrote it and some more information. But if for some reason you got into a lawsuit, you would get, I think you don't get attorney fees, I'm pretty sure. But how many people go down that road anyway? I did mention, I like I hit a word that I forgot to ask for you to define, a DOC. What, what is a DOC? Date of creation. And you would know that well because yes. you probably keep track of a lot of those. Now... I know some people define that there's data creation and day, date that people finish. As a administrator, do you feel there's a more important thing to put? Because I know that some people will call the DOC the day they actually finish a song, 
And some people tag it the day they actually started a song. Do you have a, a, a preference? For I ask your opinion. For us, we go with what our publisher tells us. Ah. So it's it's whatever you tell us the date of creation is because we're working on your behalf. So it's what you all decide. The In date general, of do you is. know who? What, what what's the the statistic? Most you. folks probably, I think they probably go with when they finish it because it has so many edits from that, from the beginning. Um, but I don't know because I just go, tell me what it is. It's your business. Ah. I'm not refusing. See, I'm a stickler you. for the date of creation, the date you started that piece of work. I, I want to call it that. And I and I can explain my reasoning behind that. It to come up when deals come around. Like, uh, is it Schedule A? Is it not Schedule A? Did it fall under my deal? But yet you finished it in someone else's deal magically. Well, that's yeah. my song if you started it when you wrote in my term. Which uh, is a whole different thing, but yes, yeah. that, that's interesting. I didn't know that people. It's really... Whatever you tell us, ah. so we just. Throw but there's it back no legal. I don't know so, I guess because not. we like we so we work on behalf of publishers and they we work on on behalf of their works. It's what they tell us in our agreement. We're our agreement says, hey, you you know you're not going to claim works that aren't yours. You're going to tell us the information that we need to know. So we're relying on our publisher to tell us the correct information. But the date of creation, I've never really pondered that. talk about scale a little bit i know that when i when i started a uh, parallel i i did pay hour i just paid quarterly to have somebody handle my my administration again because i knew it was very important basically i paid him to set up all my systems yeah. and that was super important for me until my i just started getting to where i was getting healthy checks and then they obviously took a, a, a percentage of mine as well yeah. which again i can't stress enough if you're starting a company in particular and you're wanting to grow a company that Getting the right administration early on is so, so, so important. And instead of having to go backwards and deal with it, it's such a hassle because I have to And you that. lose money too that yeah. way. So it's always better to, to like have that in your budget if you're creating that company to have, you know, set up in your, in your budget because in the long run you'll end up making that money back. I think people would be surprised. I see a number of licenses in a week even, just little things from an American Idol thing to a, a YouTube thing to independent release thing, and they come in pretty fast, and, and uh, you, want, you don't want to lose money. And so having somebody help take care of that, because I did it on my own for a while, and it's a lot when you're trying yeah. to pitch songs and, 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 and create do the licenses. money. I always tell clients, like, your job is to, like, go and create new money. Our job is to collect the old money. That's a perfect so, relationship. Yeah. And for, like you said, for sync uses, we, um, if you don't deal with them every day, those are negotiable. So you might kind of lowball yourself and not know it. See, I was going to bring up sync because yeah. it's a, it's the very one that is the most negotiable one we have. And it's, and for me still, they, they can be really technical and, and very lengthy. I had one at like each week and if it kept going, it was in a trailer to the, to the thing and. It made my head spin, to be quite honest. I love my administrator because they, they, they break it <laughs> do down and explain that? to you. I, yeah. I say, please put this in English. Yeah. I don't even know what this means. So 
Now, on the uh, admin side of life, I've been asking everybody to look into their crystal ball. And we know that so much has has shifted uh, in the last five years uh, in the music business, particularly with streaming and digital files and all that. Do you see anything on your side of the business beginning to change, or do you see something down the road that uh, might be interesting? Well, the Music Modernization Act will be great whenever that does go through. And I know there's a lot of steps to that. So we're kind of head down, not really like analyzing that yet because it hasn't it has a lot of hurdles to go through. But if that goes through, that'd be very exciting for us and for our clients because it means increased revenue. And then it potentially cuts out a middleman too, which also means increased revenue. And it's easier for us to talk to, hopefully to talk to the DSPs, so Spotify, Apple, about what piece we own of each song. It would be very nice. We're going to have a whole uh, podcast on so stay tuned for those listening. Yeah. We're going to have a podcast on, well, it's, uh, uh, mostly just that, to have it broken down and explained to us from Mr. John Barker. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, like. so, yeah, it will be because I can't even comprehend it myself. It's a little yeah. above my head. Do you get involved on the legislative side yourself? Not John is way more than I, which is awesome because yeah. we need him. Um, so you we, deal with the admin that makes my head spin, and there's people that right? you like that deal with other stuff. We're a member, like for of NMPA for our and right. and you know our clients with are then represented in that. Um, so that and you know we obviously like keep up to date of what's going on, but we're not on the hill. Maybe I should be, but I am at my desk. Some You're collecting for my people's clients. money, which yes. <laughs> yes. is super important. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to the Nashville AIMP podcast. For more information, check out AIMP.org or follow us at Nashville AIMP on Instagram. The Nashville AIMP would like to give a shout out to our sponsors, Jamber and Sound Exchange. Jamber wants to know if you're looking for an easier way to capture song splits at the point of creation and organizing your catalog. Jamber is our podcast sponsor, and they are offering listeners a first look at their songwriter and publisher apps that allow songwriters to collaborate when inspiration strikes. Go to jamber.com forward slash AIMP to sign up today. SoundExchange develops business solutions for the entire music industry. They collect and distribute royalties on behalf of more than 155,000 recording artists, master right owners, and music publishers. SoundExchange have paid out more than $5 billion in royalties. SXWorks serves the licensing and administration needs of music publishers around the world and operates CMRRA, which represents music publishers and administers mechanical rights for the majority of songs recorded, sold, and broadcast in Canada. We appreciate you listening to the Nashville Pubcast. Stay tuned for an all-new episode next week.